We'll be reading two sections. The first one, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. And the second, Proverbs 22, starting in verse 29, and then into chapter 23 through verse 5. Uh, the first section is on page 531 of your Pew Bible, if you need to use your uh, Pew Bible. So Proverbs 6, 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And then Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brad. Uh, I do want to welcome you again if you are a first-time guest and or you're visiting online for the first time. We are in this study of the, the ancient wisdom of Proverbs, and it is rich. And today, uh, we're, we're kind of moving out of the introduction to wisdom idea. We've been talking about wisdom. What is it? And, and, and how do we go after it? And now we kind of shift into topics. And our first topic, like to launch the topic section, is work. And this is incredibly relevant. Every single one of us were made by God to work. I, it's fascinating to me when, like, when you just kind of think about it. The creative genius of God making us the way that he did. Hands to craft things and arms to lift things and legs to move things, and shoulders to bear the weight of things, uh, God, in his brilliance, made us like fine-tuned productivity machines, like at least in our prime we were, <laughs> right? It's fascinating to me. Charles Darwin's Origin of the Species just does not have explanatory power anymore. I mean, it might have in the 19th century for some people, but it, it's not compelling anymore. We're way too complex, irreducibly complex. complex. And, and we're fearfully, as Psalm 139 says, fearfully and wonderfully made, intricately woven, right? God, in his genius and brilliance, made us this way. Like, 
Christianity claims this. Christianity says that our unique human capabilities and complexities come from one place, from the triune God who endowed us with his likeness. You can spend time trying to sort of deny that and find another place to, so that you don't have to submit to God, right? You can try to do that. But the evidence is pretty overwhelming that some intelligent designer made us. So, our ability to think, this is, this is kind of where we're going this morning, our ability to think and create and build and organize a flourishing home or society or business is a gift from God. And we're, we're, we're ready to stop denying that and start embracing that and, and know that we were made by God with signatures of His glory all over us. And that means that we'll never be happier than when we live for Him. And do what God made us to do. And that includes work. That includes work. It includes productivity. It includes the idea of work. Uh, Genesis describes the very creation of the world as the handiwork of a brilliant craftsman. And God made, and God fashioned, and God made, and God fashioned. And then, in this sort of culminating moment in 126 and 27, let us make man in our likeness in our image and then you know this God saw everything that he made right and it was very good in other words the Bible opens with this profound idea that work was part of paradise work God made a beautiful world, God created, he crafted, he made a beautiful world and entrusted it to us to work it and keep it. And we were made to live in the same balanced rhythm of work and rest that our creator made the world in. Six days and then rest. Just like God, we are to work and then rest. Work is as much a basic human need. Think about this. Because some, some today really do not think this way, so it's kind of challenging. But I want to put this on the table. Work is as much a basic human need as food and water, sleep and exercise, family and friendship. People who don't have meaningful work start to shrivel up and, and feel less and less significant and feel lack of purpose, right? I mean, many of you realize this even in your retirement years. After your third or fourth month of retirement, you're like, I got to do something, right? This is real. You were made for work. You've got to give yourself to something bigger than yourself and to engage yourself. So the Bible has a lot to say about work vocation and stewardship and proverbs especially has a lot to say about work i'm going to try to do this in one message and it's going to be inadequate and so 
just like, <laughs> it's, it, it's, um, we're not going to be able to say everything we could say about work from the book of Proverbs in one message, but let me just give it a good old college try. Four things that Proverbs says about work. We were made to be industrious, discerning, creative, and honest. Industrious, discerning, creative, and honest. And each of these has a sister concept I'm going to give you as we go through. Let's start with number one. You and I were made by God to be industrious and diligent, not lazy. Proverbs chapter 6. So back to Proverbs 6, as Brad just read a moment ago, we're going to pick up in verse 6. To be industrious is to be a productive person, a person who knows how to start things and finish things and work hard all the way through between the beginning and the end. That's what it means to be an industrious person. Look at Proverbs 6 and verse 6. Now, we often, if you grew up in a Christian home, you've heard this without even knowing you knew it. Like, you know, this, we even joke about it. Oh, man, don't be a sluggard. Did, you, did your family ever, do you ever, did you ever hear that? Like, don't, don't be a slacker. Don't be a sluggard. Where's that coming from? Proverbs 6. Go to the ant. Look to the ant. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Consider her. Study her. And then what does it say? And you will be wise. Like, we're, that's what we're talking about these days, right? Wisdom. So don't miss that line. That's really important. The writer here wants you to go and observe in nature this, um, this creature called the ant. Go to her, study her, consider the ant, watch her, study her, and you will learn from her to be wise. Verse 7, she has inner motivation. Without having a chief, officer, or ruler, she has no boss. Look at this in verse 7. She has no boss, no manager, no reporting structure. She does not wait around to be told what to do. She knows what to do, and she goes after it. She's got this sense of inner motivation. She's not wondering what she was made for. She's not wondering what she's, whether she's supposed to be working. Uh, study the ant, and you will discover one of the most important things about what God intends for you as a worker, and that is to be motivated. I was watching yesterday, or two days ago, whenever it was, we were out on the trail on our bikes, and we just stopped to get a breather, and there was this pine tree, and there must have been a thousand black ants going from the bottom of the pine tree. I couldn't even see to the top, and I don't know if the nest was up there or the nest was down here, and the food source was in the opposite place, but they were just working straight up, fighting gravity, walking the side of this, like, I just look, I kept looking for the person who was telling them what to do. <laughs> and there was nobody. The queen ant had done her job. She's, who knows where she is? And they're all just feverishly getting it up and down that tree, working. They had this sense of inner motivation. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 8. She prepares her bread in summer. Prepares, works. In the heat of the summer, yeah, you're at the 4th of July picnic eating a hot dog, and she's carrying off crumbs for later, right? And she's going to come back and get Luke Baggett's Fritos in just a second, but she's working. 
hard work, verse 7. Industrious. She prepares her bread in the heat of the summer. And then it says in verse 8, she gathers her food in harvest. Mark the harvest language because she's working today for tomorrow. So to be industrious means you work today for tomorrow, right? That's the point of the harvest. Some people presume upon the future and therefore presume on God. I mean, that's definitely the point in Proverbs. To presume on the future is not just to presume on the future, it's to presume on God. So she doesn't presume. She doesn't take it for granted. She prepares. She gathers a harvest. It is so easy. Quick application here. It's so easy in a consumer culture. And man, we are living in a consumer-oriented culture. It's so easy in a consumer culture to presume on everyone and assume that the whole world's here to bend toward your convenience. Like, we're here to... We're here to make your life more convenient. That's the way we live today. It's so easy to be pulled into that. She, this ant, this creature of God, is not a presumptuous... When God gives the harvest, she gathers it. She collects it because she knows there's going to be a day when it won't be there. And for the believer, this is what this means. For the believer, God uses work and industry and diligence to undermine. Listen, here's why you should work. You should work to train yourself, to discipline yourself, to undermine that tendency that you've got to think that everything's supposed to be convenient and easy and you deserve it. God in His grace gives us work and industry and diligence to undermine our sinful tendencies of presumption. And so, industry and diligence reflect the character of God. We were made in God's image. We reflect the character of God. We were made to work by God. And this is something you'll see over and over again in Proverbs. This just gets us started. Industry and diligence. Number two. But, this is really important, too much of anything can be a serious problem. Do you agree with that? Really, industry tied to money can easily turn into idolatry. It is possible to work too much and for the wrong reasons. I mean, that's the genius of Proverbs. The genius of Proverbs is that no particular proverb contains everything you could ever say about that subject. So while we are strong, strongly emphasizing industry and productivity and diligence, we need to come back and make the second point just as important as the first, to be discerning and self-controlled about our work because it could easily lead us into chasing self-glory and our own kingdoms and living for the wrong things. So go to Proverbs 23, flip over to 23 and verse 4. Proverbs 23, verse 4. The second thing to know about work is that is that it's really significant that you be discerning 
and self-controlled in your work. Proverbs 23 verse 4 says, don't don't toil to acquire wealth. Don't, as the NIV reads, don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't overdo this work thing and, 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 get, and, and use every single hour of every single day to accumulate as much wealth as you possibly can. Don't wear yourself out to, to, to get rich. Don't trust your own cleverness. There comes a time when enough is enough. And to go beyond that would be to flirt with idolatry, to take work, which is a good thing, and make it an ultimate thing. You can take any good thing and make it an ultimate thing. The problem with the workaholic is not work. It's his lack of discernment. It's his lack of discernment. Wait a minute. I just sacrificed my family. I just sacrificed a relationship. I just sacrificed this more important thing for the next, you know. He thinks he can handle it, but he lacks discernment. The problem with the workaholic is that he thinks he's further along than he is. He thinks he can trust his own cleverness. He thinks he can handle it. Look, I know what I'll do is I'll slow down when I hit 1.5 million in the retirement account. That's when I'll slow down. And then 1.5 is not enough, so it's two. And then it's 2.5. Well, honey, I'll slow down. And then he wakes up with stress in his chest one day. And he doesn't know his wife. And his kids can't stand to be around him because he lacks discernment and balance. And like this is why the fourth commandment is so important. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work and, and then on the seventh day you should treat it as a Sabbath to the Lord. It's not just for you. It is for you because everything that glorifies God is usually... No, yeah, wow, did I almost say that? Everything that glorifies God is good for you, is always good for you. So it's a Sabbath unto the Lord and it's good for you. Sabbath rest is not just about rest. It's about a life of balance and rhythm and perspective and happiness. It's about relinquishing. It's about every seven days relinquishing your own kingdom. This is not mine. None of this is mine. It's about every seven days saying none of this is mine, right? Not really. Not ultimately. So if you're driven, so if, so if you're diligent, if you're industrious and diligent, that's great. But if it gets out of hand then, boy, you've got to have discernment and you've got to have self-control and, and you've got Sabbath rest building, building your, a rhythm into your life to bring you back in check. So, still in chapter 23, verse 1, if you're driven by the glory of ambition, look at this, Proverbs 23, verse 1, if you're driven by the glory of ambition and chasing glory and luxury, if you're easily impressed by power and money and, and all the... When you sit down to eat with an impressive person, verse 1, a ruler, a senator, a governor, a famous athlete, a celebrity, 
Be careful when you do that. Because it's not just the luxury of the moment. You're feeding your appetite for glory. That's what this means. So put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite, he says. Don't desire his delicacies. Don't desire the powerful ruler's delicacies. They are deceptive food. And you could just sort of tease this out into all the luxury of life. You get around people who have a lot and have luxury and, and you're, you, know, you enjoy that moment and they have power and stuff and, 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 and the wealth and luxury just starts to creep into your heart and soul. And the writer of Proverbs says, put a knife to your throat and kill that appetite. Because if you're not careful, it's going to just like, you're going to, it's going to pull you into a really dark, unhealthy, self-glory kind of place. So, be discerning and wise. One of the most important themes in the Bible about work is this theme. Be discerning. Be self-controlled. Be smart. Be wise. Third, you and I were made in our work to be creative and skillful. This means no shortcuts. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. 29, so just back up one verse. It's the very end of the previous chapter. Just back up one verse to verse 29 of chapter 22. Do you see that? I love this verse. This is a great verse. This is where we get to be like positive and uh, encouraging and like this is the fun part of work. This is the, yeah, this is the fun part. Be creative and skillful in your work. You were made to be creative and skillful. Do you see a man skillful in his work? Verse 29. He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Do you see a man who is skillful in his work? He will be recognized by kings. In other words, if workmanship, now, like, get this. If workmanship and craftsmanship and a job well done is more important to you than self-promotion, so if the quality of the work is more important to you than people seeing and recognizing you're an amazing craftsman, if the quality of your work is more important than being recognized for your work, it will be recognized soon enough. That's what this means. And you have time to wait. You know why you have time to wait to be recognized? Because work done well for the right reason is its own reward. It's a beautiful thing. This is why I mow my front yard. It's why you enjoy doing some of the things you do that you don't get paid for. Because there's something incredibly satisfying about working hard all day, bending and sweating and finishing that interior painting job or that exterior home improvement project, and then you collapse in bed at night, and you're like, oh, it feels so good to be, wait a minute, I forgot to do one thing. 
and you get up and you go do that thing and you put the finishing touch on it and then you go to bed and it's not just a Home Depot commercial. It really matters that you take care in your work. God, listen to this. God gave you the discernment and the capacity to see the difference between shoddy, good, and great. He gave you that capacity to discern those things and to execute at that level. The difference between, I can just kind of barely slide by. Or no, that's a good job. Man, he does great work. I have a friend who started his own plumbing business a few years back. And he's just professional, highly competent, really good at what he does, takes his craft seriously. He's a tradesman, and he takes his trade seriously. And he's got a long line of people who would love for him to come and do their stuff. He is not going to have a problem with getting work because people love to find a tradesman that they can trust who does high-quality work. It just, it's just the way life works. Work done well for the right reason is a reward in and of itself. Have you ever, have you ever heard of uh, Wayne Henderson? Some of you know Wayne Henderson. He's a famous guitar maker, maybe uh, a luthier, a, a maker of stringed instruments. The, string, the strings department over here, well, where's Mark? But yeah, the strings department over here was reminding me this morning of this. Wayne Henderson, somewhere between Fancy Gap and Galax, I'm not sure exactly where he is, but he's an hour and a half from here or something like that. He's, he's a famous, he's worldwide famous for making guitars here in the Blue Ridge. And Sam was telling me a story about Eric Clapton in New York City who met a guy who had one of Wayne Henderson's guitars. And, you know, Wayne Henderson doesn't really, in his making of things, in his crafting of things, he, I, I don't think he has a social media page. I don't think he like, he, like, you have to get in line. You get on a wait list, and it takes a long time to get one of his guitars. And Eric Clapton was playing this guitar, and his friend said, you know, what do you think? And he's like, this is amazing. I want one of these. How do I get this? How do I get one of these guitars? He's like, well, you, you just put your name on the list. And apparently, um, Wayne Henderson had no idea that Eric Clapton wanted one of his guitars. I think they moved him to the top of the list <laughs> when they found that out. Um, who's, Wayne Hen who's Wayne Henderson? I mean, I've never heard of Wayne Henderson. I've heard of Eric Clapton. I've heard of New York City. Like, if you're good at what you do, if you're good at what you do and you really care about pleasing God because God made you to reflect his image on the earth, if you're, really, if you're good at what you do and you do it as a way of reflecting who God and his goodness is, you'll be known when you need to be known by the people you need to be known by. And then you don't have to struggle to send out your resume. I'm frustrated with work right now. I'm going to float my resume. Did you ever do that? It's a thing. 
Whether you're building guitars in the Blue Ridge Mountains or writing code for a Fortune 500 company or a barista at Mill Mountain or selling merch or home educating your children or working on an iPad in a Chick-fil-A drive-through, what you do matters to God. And the way you do it matters to God. Because you're all the time saying to people, someone made me. I'm his. I want to bring glory to him. This is not about me. This is not about my kingdom and my building of my kingdom. This is about God. Here's the last thing. And we're out of time. The fourth main category from Proverbs about work is honesty. We were made to be honest and fair. Turn to 28, 6. Proverbs 28, verse 6. And I want to ask you to believe this this morning. I, I, I want, if you're a Christian and you believe the Bible and you trust in God's promises, I want, I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to, like, I want to invite you to believe Proverbs 28, verse 6, and believe that it will make a difference in your life. Look at this. Verse 6, chapter 28. Better, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in all of his ways. It's better to have less. It's better to have less money. Here, no, let's get this right. It's better to have less money and more integrity. than to sacrifice your integrity for more money. Right, let me see if I can remember this. There was a crooked man who walked a crooked mile. He found a crooked sixpence against a crooked style. He bought a crooked cat, which caught a crooked mouse, and they all lived together in a little crooked house. You don't want to live like that. You, you don't want to live like that. But it'll happen if you spend your greatest assets on yourself rather than integrity. Proverbs 11, 11.1 1 says a false balance is a, an abomination to God. Did you hear that? A false weight. Uh, they would measure their products back then with a scale, a steel bar across the top with a pivot, and, you know, 10 pounds on this side, and then you buy 10 pounds of sugar on this side, and you'd get an accurate measurement. Unless you monkeyed with the weight, and you put on here 10 pounds, but it really only weighed 8. And then you could, you know, you could make some, you could start to really make some profit if you start cheating. A false Balance, 11.1, is an abomination to God. Like, I thought abomination was about things that were way worse than that. No. Trying to deceive people in your work is not just wrong. It's utterly displeasing to God. He hates it. But a just weight, a true weight, a true balance is his delight. 
Honesty and fairness matter. So when you have to decide this week at work, listen, when you have to decide this week at work whether or not you're going to be honest or deceptive, trust God that he made you to be honest. He made you to bear his image, to reflect his character. It's worth it. Which reminds me, you can't do that by yourself. You can't be honest by yourself. He made you to be honest, but something's happened since then. And Genesis chapter 3 calls it the fall of man. We call it the fall of man. Genesis 3, Romans 5 teaches about why it is we're pulled toward dishonesty, right? So you can't be honest on your own. You're going to need the gospel. You're going to need God. You're going to need not just to be made in his image, but then you're going to need to be reclaimed back to his image since we live on this side of the fall, since we live in a broken world, since sin lives in our hearts, right? So we're going to need God's help this week to work the right way, to honor him, to bear his image. And let me close with this summary thought by Dorothy Sayers. If you're looking to go further into the work concept, um, let me encourage you to look at Dorothy Sayers' classic essay on why work. Here's Here's what she says. Work is not a necessary drudgery. To make money. That's not what work is. If you're thinking work is just a necessary means to make money to survive in this world, it's like that's you're missing the whole point of the biblical truth and witness about work. Work is not just a necessary drudgery for the purpose of making money. It's a way of life in which the nature of man finds its proper exercise and delight in God and for his glory. Like we you and I were made to glorify God in our work and to fulfill ourselves in His glory. Work is not something we do to live. It's what we, it's really what we live to do. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. Man, Christians for way too long have been like, man, yep, it's Monday tomorrow. It was a great day at church, but it's Monday. And I got to go back to work. And then, we don't, oh, man, it's Wednesday. It's hump day. What's that mean? Well, it's hump day means we're almost to what day? Friday. We're almost to Friday. TGIF. That's not even close to Christian. You should thank God it's Friday. But you should also thank God that it's what? Monday.